there are still way too many people who believe that someone could be buried for three days and still rise from the dead and come to life. But fortunately, more and more people are coming to their senses. Those are the opening words to an article I read recently uh, condemning the, the belief in the resurrection. It was based on a survey that was taken over the last few years that in 2012, 77% of Americans believed in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in 2013, it had dropped to 64% of Americans believe Jesus rose from the dead. And the person writing the article basically was saying, finally, people are starting to understand it. They're coming to their senses. And we we read these kinds of articles and it burdens us and and it frustrates us. And we we want to try to help people say, no, it's true. It's right. And yet we have to stop and think for a moment. Someone in the grave for three days rises to life. That's a pretty big thing to believe. When you read the story of Luke that we read this morning, the women go to the tomb and and they they find it empty and eventually an angel appears to them and tells them what has happened and and tells them to go back and they run back to, to the disciples and they tell them all that they've seen. And what do the disciples say? What does it tell us? It says, the disciples didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Now, if people who have been with Jesus for three, four years, whatever it was, don't believe, other people are going to struggle to believe too. And yet, at the heart of our faith, at the crux of our faith, is the resurrection. Without the resurrection, we don't have Christian faith. In the passage you read from 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. We'll be more pitied than anybody on the earth. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about this day in which we gather. And every other Sunday that is this mini Easter, the resurrection is what makes Christian Christian. It's what makes Christianity, Christianity. It is the heart and soul of our faith that Jesus, who died for our sins, rose from the grave. But it's tough for some people to grasp that. We grasp it because we have a basic sense of we believe in the supernatural. We believe, we've been taught this, and we have an openness to it. For some people, they hesitate to believe because it's, it's an intellectual struggle. And quite frankly, if I said to you, someone that I know, someone in your family or someone close to you who has died, and I came to you and said, I just saw them on the street. Nonsense would be the least of the words you would use for me. <laughs> right? For some people, it's an intellectual decision. It's an intellectual struggle. It's tough. 
And, and there are apologetics, there are arguments that we can make. We, we try to help people understand the reality of the resurrection. You think about the disciples who would give their lives for something that they knew wasn't true. And there are all kinds of arguments that are made. But the reality is, my experience has been that most people who claim that their problem with the resurrection is intellectual, is is needing an argument. It's really more of an issue of, I'm struggling with people around me who claim to be Christian. The heart of our faith is the resurrection. And it ought to impinge on everything we are, everything that we do. It ought to make us different. For, for a lot of Christians, while he was alive, Christopher Hitchens was, was sort of a thorn in the flesh for a lot of people. Pain in the neck. He wrote a book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. And uh, he, after he wrote this book, he went on a speaking tour and he was in Portland, Oregon, being interviewed on the radio by a woman who was a Unitarian minister. And she began the interview by saying, your book is basically attacking the fundamentalist mindset of Christianity and of faiths. And she said, I, I'm a liberal Christian. I don't believe that the, the scriptures are necessarily true. I don't believe, you know, that the, Jesus died on the cross to save our sins. I don't believe those things. So what would you have to say to me as a person who believes in liberal religion? And he said to this woman, well, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and if you don't believe that Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, and if you don't believe that he rose from the dead, literally, bodily, then really, in any meaningful way, you can't, you're not a Christian. And she said, you know what, let's go on to something else. <laughs> Christopher Hitchens didn't believe it, but he got it. He understood, but we sometimes miss. It makes a difference. And I am convinced that what keeps people from truly embracing the resurrection, while sometimes it is definitely intellectual, but I find that what holds people back is is not seeing the risen Christ in people who claim to embrace it. That we don't look any different. We just seem to be doing all the same things that people who don't embrace it do. We talk about how much we believe it. We talk about how it's the center of our lives and our faith. But does it make any difference? And I've noticed that most people need some time with people who truly embrace the resurrection in order to come to the place where they are able to listen to arguments about the resurrection. You think about Jesus. Jesus rarely gets into a debate with anybody. But he could. I mean, I don't know if they had a debate team at Nazareth High School, but if they did, I'm pretty sure he'd been the captain and he'd have won every match. It's like putting Clark Kent as the running back on your football team. I mean, who's going to stop him, right? Who is going to be Jesus? And you think about the arguments that, that Jesus could make with people. And yet more often than not, when people come to him and wanting to debate, he diffuses it by asking them questions. By loving them and caring about them and being a presence to them. 
Paul has his moments when he stands up and he debates those who oppose the faith. But yet he writes over and over and over again, it's how we live that's going to make the biggest difference in people believing. Think about the disciples. We didn't read the rest of Luke 24, but if you do, it talks about a couple of men who, who after hearing the women and all this on Sunday, they, they walk back to their home. And on the way, some, a man joins them. They don't realize it, but it's Jesus. And he, they, they are telling him about what has happened, and he begins to explain the scriptures to them. And they're fascinated by it. But it isn't until they sit down and Jesus breaks bread and their eyes are open and they see Jesus that they believe. And they understand. And I'm convinced that people will come to embrace the resurrection when they see Jesus in us. Who claim to believe. Who claim that our lives are focused and centered around it. And what does that look like? I think there are a few things. I I think that people will struggle... And will think the resurrection is nonsense. That Easter is nonsense. Unless they see us live honestly. And by that I mean that, that we are honest about ourselves. You know, we, we, we often, and we talk about how God wants us to live holy lives. And, and he does. And there are standards that we want to live. But we all know that we fall short of that. And the honesty comes in is, is when we acknowledge that we fall short of it. See, hypocrisy is not setting a standard and then not reaching it. Hypocrisy is setting a standard, not reaching it, but acting like we do. And, and, also, and then putting it on other people and condemning them when they don't. Even when we don't. And we're afraid, well, we're going to look bad. You know, God's going to look bad. No, it's the exact opposite. People are looking for honesty. People are looking for, for Christians who will say, I'm not perfect. And, and, and when we mess up, we're the first ones to say, please forgive me. I blew it. I'm sorry. Those are the first words out of our mouths. And it amazes people because it is so different. And I find those very words often create conversations of why would you be willing to say that? Because Christ lives in me. And we're honest with people about any good in our lives. Sometimes it's this arrogance that we have with the world of saying, in a sense, we're better than you. When the reality is, we've just surrendered our lives to Christ. And he's worked in us. That's what makes us different. We're not any better than anybody else. We've just let the risen Christ come into our lives and change us and work in us. And people need to know that. And instead of sending the message that we've got it all wrapped up, it's all about us, we're good, it's all back on Jesus. It continually goes back to the risen Christ in me. But it's not just about living truthfully. It's, it's a sense that we live in a spirit of love. That, that love permeates all of our being. And that means that we love in ways that, quite frankly, we don't have to love if we don't want to. 
And by that I mean, sometimes the world says to us, people will say to us, you know what, you get a pass on that one. The things that that person has done to you, the stuff that's happened to you, you don't need to love. We'll let that one go. And those are the very moments when the risen Christ in us makes a difference. The very moments when everyone says, you know what, I wouldn't love them. And we say, I wouldn't either, but Jesus would. And the risen Christ lives in me, and I love them. It's a conscious decision we make. The love of Christ is love that reaches to people who, quite frankly, often might not deserve our love. Jesus says, you know what? Anybody can love those who love you back. The test of me and you is loving people who are your enemies, who reject you, who hurt you. That's the risen Christ in us shining forth. And we love people that, that our society and our culture says are unlovable. We're the people who step in and do that. And quite frankly, despite how the church sometimes looked, we really have a pretty decent reputation through the years. You think about all the hospitals that have been started by the church. And food pantries and inner city missions. There are a lot of good things that have happened, but we've got a long way to go. And our natural inclination, if it's just me, is to say, I don't want to get involved in that. That's too much. That's too risky. That's too demanding. It takes too much out of me. And yet, we look at the price that Christ pays for us on the cross. It's where his love takes him. And he calls us to that same kind of love. And when it comes to interacting with people, sharing Christ with people, we do that... Not out of obligation. You know, not because, well, I guess I better say something about Jesus or I'm going to feel bad. It's because we love them. And we share Christ with people and we love people. And and if they reject us, we keep loving them. If they reject Christ, we keep loving them. If they push us away, we keep trying to embrace them. I remember when I was in college, one of our professors told us a story. I think this is true. It might be apocryphal, but I think it's true. He was downtown one time in Portland, Oregon, on the street, and there were some people down there, handing, Christians handing out little tracts, you know, little pamphlets to people as they walk by. And there was a guy down there who was handing out one, and one of the guys he handed it to looked at it a second and threw it on the ground and said, I don't want this garbage that you're giving me. Get away from me. And, and he was just rude to this Christian passing things out. And as he walked by, Christian turned to him and said, well, fine. If you want to go to hell, go to hell. Well, I don't care. <laughs> and, and the professor said, you know, I thought to myself, not sure the best witness in that moment. <laughs> you know, when I think about that, and I think of it often... It's been a while since I've heard that story. I think of it often about the difference between just loving and feeling this, I don't know, obligation to love. We just love because Christ just loves. Christ doesn't look around at humanity and say, well, I'm going to love a few of you. I'm going to love this group and I don't love those. He loves everyone. 
That's the call of the risen Christ in us. It ought to change the way we look at people and treat people because Christ makes us different. And I think Easter is nonsense for people until they see us live joyfully. Scriptures talk a lot about joy. Jesus says to his disciples, one of the reasons I've come to you and I've come into this world is to fill your lives with joy. He says, you're going to grieve in a little bit. And and you're going to have sorrow, but your sorrow is going to be turned to joy when you see me. Paul writes in Philippians a lot about joy. He's writing from a Roman prison and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. He says to the Thessalonians, rejoice always. And in Isaiah, God says of his people Israel, you will be a source of joy. I'm not always sure Christians are a source of joy. Sometimes I think we confuse being serious about our faith with being somber. Baptism this morning, awesome. And one of the things I, I, I talk about with the people being baptized is the ways that we use water, how it's symbolized in baptism. And I ask them, how did, how did you use water today? And usually I get some form of drinking water and some form of water to wash. You know, wash your hands, took a shower, took a bath, something. And, and I tell them, yeah, exactly right. And in baptism, there is this symbolic, this symbolism of, of Jesus washing us clean from our sins And baptism symbolizes that. I talk about how I used to play football when I was a kid. I loved playing in the mud. And when I'd come home, my mother did not like me playing in the mud. And she would, you know, I I know there were times, she denies this, but I'm sure there were times when she would say, you're not coming in the house. God, it's covered in mud. And she hosed me down outside, you know. (laughs) And you could see the mud just pouring off of me. And I said, this is an image of what Christ does for us in the cross. Forgiveness of sins, we're covered in the the mud of sin and he cleanses us. And in baptism, that is symbolized. And the water that we drink gives us life. And Jesus says, I am the living water. Drinks of this will never thirst. But I say, there's another way that we use water. And most of the time, they're scratching their heads trying to think of it. And I look in their eyes and I think they want to answer, but they're not sure they should. I say, well, how about in the summertime, how to use water? And somebody usually says, well, we go swimming. I say, exactly. Swimming, water balloon fights, you know, spraying each other the hose. And they look at me like, what does that have to do with baptism? It's because God is about fun. God's about play. God is about joy. And we miss that so often. And in baptism, we are symbolizing the joy that we have with water and the fun that we have with life. And we ought to be the most joyous people in the world. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the the 19th century, said that um, he was was often criticized by people because he used so much humor in his sermons. And he said to a group of ministerial students one day, if people only knew how much I hold back, how much I don't say, they would congratulate me instead of... Condemning me. And I'm thinking that's so sad. That we can't just be joyful. 
and laugh and enjoy life. I mean, I think about the children coming to Jesus. You know what it's like. Children don't like hanging around people who are grumpy and mean. They want to be around people who are happy and joyous. And when I think of the, see the picture of children coming to Jesus, I see this image of someone who exudes joy. And children love to be around him. And I'm, I've learned in my own life and lots of other lives... The people children like to be around are the same people you and I like to be around too. And it's not denial of the reality of life. It is not denial of sorrow and pain and struggle. All of that is there. No one faces the reality of that more than Jesus does. But the undercurrent of that is joy. People who have been embraced by the risen Christ should be the most joyous people on the earth. Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. He's alive. And he lives in us. And the world is different. And we're different. And we ought to sing that It ought to get down deep into our bones that it just seeps out of us as we go through our lives. And again, it's not denial of truth. It's not denial of pain. It's not denial of the hurt and the struggles of life and the griefs and the sorrows that come to us. But it is a perspective about those that you can only have When the risen Christ lives in you. And ultimately this comes down to hope. And ultimately it is living in a spirit of hope. That undergirds all that we are as people. Despite the pain of death, it's not the end. Despite the pains of this world, it's not the end. Despite all of the the reasons we have for despair. I mean, you just think about things going on right now in our world. The ferry that, you know, is capsized in South Korea. The tragedy of that. The fighting in the Ukraine. The, the, you know, the largest gathering in the last week or so of Al-Qaeda that we've seen in a while. Think about the things, violence in schools, poverty, refugee camps, famine, earthquakes, natural, other natural disasters. And the list goes on and on and on. And our natural inclination is to feel despair. And a lot of people do. And unfortunately... Sometimes the loudest doomsayer voices are Christians. We've lost our hope. The risen Christ comes to give us hope. And hope is not wishful thinking. You know, this is not, I I, I hope I get an A on that test that I didn't study for. (laughs) This is not, I hope I get that job that I'm not qualified for. 
This is not, I hope this comes to me. This is confidence. This is certainty. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yes, so they live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. And because I live, you also shall live. That's our hope. And that's why we come together this day and we celebrate. That's why we come together every Sunday and we celebrate. That's why we go into this world of of tragedy and despair and, and trouble. And we have hope. It's, and it's because of our hope that, that we can be live honestly. We can, be, we can acknowledge our struggles because we know Christ is the one who can do something about it. It's because of our hope in Christ that, that we can give ourselves in love. We can risk. We, we, can, we can hurt with people who are hurting. We can sacrifice ourselves in loving people because we know we have hope in the risen Christ. And we can live with joy. Because Christ is alive. The Wesleyan Church as a denomination has been in a program during, basically during Lent, of uh, reading through the New Testament. And some of you, I think, were participating. I was. And if you were participating, it, it finished up this week. And the, and the last um, days were reading through the book of Revelation. And as I was reading through the book of Revelation again and, you know, trying to wrap my mind around the images that are, that are so confusing and, and difficult to grasp and, and trying to understand what exactly all of these symbols and metaphors and images mean, I was reminded of something I read years ago. It's a, something a pastor told about when he was in seminary. And he used to get together with some guys on Thursday night to play basketball. Some of the seminarians. And they went to a local high school gym because their seminary didn't have a gym. And then they'd go play for a couple of hours, let off some steam, just kind of some fellowship together. And, and the, the janitor of the school would come and unlock the gym. And he would wait around for them and then lock up when they were done. And every week when they came, he was sitting over on the side in one of the bleachers and he was reading. And he said, normally it looked like he was reading a Bible. And so one day, his pastor, who was in that point in seminary, went down, sat next to him, and he said, well, what are you reading? And instead of his simple answer of the Bible, he said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And uh, this seminarian looked at him and said, you're reading the book of Revelation. Do you understand it? A little bit arrogantly. And the guy said, um, yeah, he said, I understand it. He said, you understand the book of Revelation? I mean, there's this, there's this man who is finishing his theological education, and in the conversations through the weeks they've been playing, it was obvious this, this janitor did not have a theological education. And he said, you understand the book of Revelation? Well, what does it mean? And the guy said to him, well, it just means that Jesus wins. And he's right. I mean, 
That's what it comes down to. Jesus wins. And the call on each of us is to live as though that is true. To live in the spirit of the risen Christ. To open our lives to let Christ transform us. And that the risen Christ would bring us to new life. That we might be channels of helping people understand and grasp and accept this day and everything that it means. Holy Father, we thank you that Jesus wins. We celebrate that truth. We pray that it will get deep into our souls. That no matter where we are in our journey with you, it will change us. That we will be channels, lights, to help people see what you this day are all about. We pray this through Christ. Amen.